This is the Horse Radio Network. Hello, and welcome to our third episode of the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Aiken. And I'm Tim Warden, and we have a really cool perspective from Human Athletics to share with you today. Uh, But before we get into this week's episode, we wanted to share with you a quick update about our website, sporthorsepodcast.com. We're continuing to add more great content every week that we're really excited about. Um, And the Equine High Performance Sports Group is working really hard to bring you the best content possible. We're talking about information that you can use to better manage your equine partners. And we recently uploaded videos from Dr. Percy McRae, who was our first guest on our first episode of the Sport Horse podcast. Um, Her video talks about water treadmills. And um, we also have a video that will be posted soon with today's guest, Carl Valley, that discusses possible ways to monitor horse health. So as Nicole mentioned, on today's show, we have Carl. And Carl has spent over 20 years in sport, both as a coach and a sports technologist, specializing in performance analysis and innovation. Over the last decade, he has consulted for Olympic programs, sports technology companies, and professional teams. He is a certified level two sprint coach with USA Track and Field and has written over 100 articles on sport performance with an emphasis on measurement and applied methodology. He currently is the director of innovation with Vortex, the pro- private experimental division of several partnered training facilities, and teaches video analysis in his spare time. In addition to being a thought leader in human sports and training innovation, he is also an animal enthusiast. He recently gave a presentation for our Sport Horse Series Library that covers some of the opportunities that exist in equine sports to monitor our horses, as well as his approach for measuring how changes to a training program will impact athletes, and in this case, of course, our horses. Hi, Carl, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. It's great to have you here today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. In your presentation, a video that you recorded that people can check out on our Sport Horse Series video library, which is on our website, uh, we'll link to in the show notes, uh, you provide some really great examples of how athletes can be monitored both to improve performance and to reduce injuries. And one of the things that I have been thinking about a lot, you know, there's a lot of really cool wearable devices coming onto the market. And it really makes me wonder how someone like me, how a layman, you know, your average horse person, your average rider or trainer can identify which metrics to prioritize over others and what to look for in the data. Um, you know, there's so much of it available and and yeah. it's it can be hard to make sense of. So I'd love your perspective on this, just as to how trainers in equine sports can identify which metrics to focus on um, if they really wanted to start incorporating data collection into their training methods. So that's a very good question. I'll give an answer that's very simple and analog because the first thing that people ask when they're dealing with technology is what to get and what to use. And then it becomes this long pathway to what to measure and how to analyze And I would actually start with something more primitive, but actually timeless, which is making sure that you're keeping copious notes of the workouts or the sessions or whatever you're doing with the animal. It's very easy to get caught up to a physiological response or a measurement, but that's usually a small piece to the puzzle. The best thing to do is to make sure that you keep notes and patterns of what your plan is so that you can evolve your program. Uh, a simple example would be heart rate monitoring, something that's been around through for decades. And the, the real question is, what's it trying to measure? 
instead of looking at it as this utopian metric, look at trying to get low hanging fruit, such as, you know, is the, is the animal getting in better shape, staying in shape or overtraining? Um, sometimes this maintaining is important. And once you have a seasonal perspective, you're not going to overdose on data. So starting off with no technology and looking at simple measurements such as what was the planned activity and what was the adjustment? If you're seeing a lot of adjustments, maybe the plan needs to change. Maybe the load needs to change. So simple measures, frequency, what's the modality chosen? What's the duration, weather conditions? Those are gold. Tech is the frosting. And that maybe adds a little uh, convenience, a little precision, but it's not going to make a, a huge change than what you were doing you know, 20, 30 years ago. It just makes sure there's a little bit more resolution to the answer. That, that's really interesting, Carl. And I just quickly wanted to follow up on one point. Uh, you mentioned overtraining with heart rate monitors, and I know that's more of the tech side, but can you uh, just give us a little bit of an, of an example of what would maybe show up in that type of uh, measurement that would indicate that an athlete is overtraining? So a good example would be a familiar session that you do for recovery. And it's a light session, could be an activity that doesn't have to be necessarily uh, uh, specific in nature. It just might be like, think about sport horse wellness, something that's going to be playful, an activity that's typical, similar details, same duration, same activity. And then your goal is to see a change. Does the, does the activity set, feel more demanding with the data? So let's say something as simple as 30 minute, just allowing a little bit of, you know, frolicking, if you will, you should see that it's similar in response than the previous week. And then you look over weeks to see trends. Hey, is the horse responsive and you can see that the activity is easy or is something creeping in overreaching could be acute or chronic and it's very difficult to decipher because we can't really have communication with a horse like we do with human athletes so i think the easiest thing to do is to say does the data look like it's typical normal and then where is it trending versus looking for one you know, specific day that says Eureka. Okay. What I'm hearing from you is the, is the importance of, of establishing a baseline, whether it's with what 100%. you're, you're recording day to day, you know, just what you did. And also when you're incorporating data into that process. And a lot of what we're trying to do here is understand how to incorporate science into what we describe as horsemanship, where you're, you're feeling what's going on under you, underneath of you, you're looking at the horse and, and their responses that they're, they're telling you, even though that they, they can't speak, like you said, in the same way that human athletes can. So I'm just curious, where, where do you think data really stands to elevate what we, what we do when, we, when we're planning out our, our training and management of our horses um, and where it can be sort of overkill or, or maybe even like uh, paralyze you a little bit just because you have too much information? Yeah, I think when you look at data, I think we sometimes equate, when I look at data, I, I try to look at the term evidence. And then the better the guess, it's sort of like uh, a detective Everyone loves crime shows, you know, most of us do, because you're trying to think the whole way through versus just entertainment. So when you're looking at data, and you're treating it. The first thing is, 
how important do I and how much do I trust this information? Observational, when you see it with your own eyes, you can tell a lot. So your own subjective information and experience needs to be part of the process. It's complemented with external objective data. So you want a balance of internal subjective and external objective, okay? That's the first step. Don't worry about data overload. Just consume what you think is useful because this is a daily and slow process. There is a little bit of a myth that like, oh my gosh, I'm drowning in data. Well, a lot of that data usually is noise, you know, stuff that can collect a lot of information. Good example is GPS technology. Excellent resource, but it's easy because if you actually looked at all the information, it can look like you're flooded. All you're trying to do is get a whiff, almost like you're tasting a wine of the data, just enough to give you a hint, but not to be using it as almost too much like a compass. So you have your workouts, which is the blueprint, or maybe it's a map, and the compass and the GPS assist you, but you should know where you're going. You should be able to read the signs. You should look at the sky. You have to have a balance of internal and external tools. Perfect. I, those are really good points. And so if, if I'm hearing you correctly, Carl, you're, you're almost saying like, and I think like every coach or trainer, they need to have a really strong training philosophy, right? And then it's, yes. you're, you, you're using this data to help direct you and help inform it. But I think it always comes back to that really solid training philosophy. So that's, that's really interesting. And, and I guess building on top of that, um, one of the things I love to do is to compare horses to humans. And, and there's a lot of that in your, in your talk. Yeah. And the one example that came up that I, I, th- I found fascinating was how in uh, sprinters and human sprinters running curves on the track is associated with an increased risk of injury. And I think that's more so true in terms of like the indoor tracks where the curves are, are tighter. Yeah. Uh, and you relate this to thoroughbred racehorses where the evidence seems to suggest that galloping curves is also a risk factor for injury. And uh, can you elaborate on some of the steps then that uh, a sprint coach would take to mitigate the dangers for their athletes when running curves? And if you think some of this could be applied to horses, for example. So that's a good question on robustness, um, specifically with a sport that is literally breeding um, certain qualities to surface and then other sometimes qualities are, are compromised. So every rose has its thorn. If you're going to make a, an animal faster and lighter, there could be a trade-off that's negative, like durability. So when you look at things such as the research on curved uh, velocities and injuries with, with sport horses, usually that's because uh, a lot of times the preparation was not rehearsing the exposed elements, if you will, to what the athlete will be experiencing competition. Um, also having an understanding that with horse athletes, you don't have quite the cross-training opportunities that you have with humans. You can't do a lot of weight room exercises. You can't do a lot of, but what you can do is if you look at the most modern of sprint programs, you still have a lot of running injuries because running works, okay? So things that you can do is find a ways to uh, be creative going the opposite direction, right? That's a, count, that's a timeless solution for, for track coaches. Instead of just running, you know, uh, turning left all the time, you try turning right, creating a little bit of a balance of the load, the distribution. Um, uh, incrementally adding strength. So maybe go a less aggressive curve, different surfaces. 
uh, maybe surging in and out. Um, just finding ways to create that durability because when you rehearse that, all the orientation of fibers and connective tissue will be exposed. If you do too much, then sometimes it doesn't repair uh, you know, fast enough and then you're getting the opposite effect. So it's a little bit of a, a, a kind of a high-low game guessing where you're, you got your formula, you look at the data, and then season by season, you can kind of tell. Uh, I don't know any other specific ways, but I do know that uh, keeping a, and this is the problem with uh, uh, sports in general, specialization. I'm not saying that you have to cross train and have show jumping mix in and jump in with, uh, uh, you know, racehorse uh, uh, type of events, but it's good to be robust. You know, let the horse run if it's only doing a lot of show type activities. And conversely, the opposite is true. Racehorses notoriously only run a little bit of jumping, a lot of uh, activities. You don't have to make them into a plow horse, but creating some robustness by exposing outside of the normal capacity and being less specific, general training helps prevent overuse syndromes, which is specific training all the time. That's great. And uh, you brought up some really great points there. And I think like the one thing you mentioned was that uh, thoroughbreds were essentially breeding them in in every sport horse now, right? We're breeding them to go down this road. And on top of that, like the training is so specialized and it's specializing a lot earlier than it used to. And it reminds me a little bit of like early specialization in human athletes. And I was wondering if you could just share uh, some, some information for us about that, that whole discussion. Cause there's a lot of talk right now about like, should we be specializing kids at an early age? So this is going to be controversial because a lot of times, a lot of this research and these articles are, they're very generic and they do a lot of sound bites, but they're not really illustrating a, a clear, honest picture of what's going on. So the, the current trend right now is to look at uh, athletes and saying, well, they're, they're getting injured earlier. Uh, they're burning out. It's specialization is the problem. Um, I don't think that's the, I think that's sort of like a red herring. The biggest issue that we have with youth sports is that competition is, is hyperbole right now. When I was a young kid, I'd play a soccer game on the weekend, right? You practice and then you play a game, right? You've got to show up to practice to earn the right to play. And practices were, were teaching. It wasn't about loading and trying to push performance. It was about making someone understand the game. Well, with club sports, you're playing year-round, and you're not preparing. So you're over-competing and under-preparing. And also, you're doing like tournaments all the time. If elite athletes, some of them are probably doing some things that they shouldn't be, aren't even doing the same schedule as youth, then we got to really look back and saying, is it they're specializing? Because some of the best clubs... What they do is they cross train. They don't, they, they might not even be in the sport for a little bit. They're in the weight room. So it's not so much that they're specializing in one sport because you could do three sports fall, winter, and spring and only compete two or three times a, a week. Well, that's just competing with a different type of, you know, it could be a different stick in the hand, right? You could be playing uh, lacrosse and then you're also playing basketball. You're just running around competing. 
So I think we've got to be careful to what specialization is, which is saying, are you getting a diverse uh, amount of stimulus? And if you're training properly, there's something called the general preparation phase. The whole purpose, like we talked about overuse syndromes, is to distribute the workload by not doing either competition or practicing uh, a specific component of the sport. So by just nature of proper planning, you can reduce a lot of the specialization fears. I do think that playing multiple sports exposes you to different types of skill sets. So I think that's important. Now for you know, equine sport, I, I don't have a solution for that. So I went to an event recently um, that was speaking to some high performance equestrians who had competed at yeah. championship, uh, the championship level for, for a period of time. So they had sustained a high level of competition. Um, and the focus was really on the, the mental aspect of that, but you can't really separate the mental, mental from the physical. Absolutely and, not. and I know that's a, a big part of, of what you do and what you've studied. And one of the things that I, I, found really compelling um, was actually uh, the show jumper McLean Ward, who has competed at four Olympic games in a row and is sort of aiming for his fifth right now, um, mentioned that he has learned to really focus on loving the process, focusing on what he does every day. And I, I feel like there's a lot of crossover here to what you're, what you're talking about in terms of um, the specialization versus um, being able to mix it up a little bit, but still productive training. And I think for horses, I think that's really important, right? We want to, it's, it's important to keep the riders brains um, on target, but the horses too, you, you know, we want to mix it up for them a bit. Can you speak to that, that piece of it and, and how it sort of correlates between human athletes and, and equine athletes? That's probably the best question I've heard in about a two or three year period, because <laughs> that is a not talked about enough. B, if it is talked about, we're kind of in that, you know, embryonic phase where we're scratching the surface. So you, you kind of address two elements. The first thing is the passion and the love of the process and not so much the process, but just the moment. Um, I don't want athletes or anyone to say, I got to love practice because sometimes it's hard work. You have to respect it and you have to look at the journey. So the first thing is what you've talked about is pleasure. So when I'm looking at expression, which sometimes, you know, with uh, a lot of sports figure skating just finished up, is the ability to express yourself is so important as an athlete. And it's sometimes why we see different styles and technique, not because there's a biomechanical advantage. It's just sort of an extension of art. When we see sport, it's usually submaximal war. You know, everything's very, you know, like, but it's not, it needs to be in between art and, and dance and motion and you know a lot of similarities to war like the marathon is basically messengers of war so i think that's important to look at um the second thing is the worst thing that i've seen like in years is the respect of sports psychology and mental skills usually when you do a, a t- hierarchy of importance what's usually on the bottom is sports psychology only if someone has a problem or in this case, recently at the, at the different Olympics, oh, this person's choking uh, or there's a mental health issue. But it's just as important to, in parallel, it's sort of like the soil and the tops of the, of the crop to work on those mental skills. Final thing to wrap up on that is play. 
again, sport is similar to you know war, and it is similar to art. But there's also a component where it should be a little bit of recreation. It should be enjoyable. And one of the things I look at is how do animals, specifically the faster beasts, express themselves for having fun? And different locomotive strategies, different types of spontaneous activities, chasing, fleeing, all of that, they like to run. They like to move. They like to do any other activity outside of just, you know, just walking around. So I think we have to embrace what does play look like? And when we start seeing a decrease in that, there's usually an increase of overtraining. Willingness to train, boredom, apathy, we can express that as humans. But if we're watching the athlete, specifically the horse athlete, we can tell a lot by posture and motion and locomotion and gait. So I think that's something to look at is how do you measure happiness and play? Um, You can kind of estimate that through facial coding with humans. And there's some data that shows and some evidence that says looking at, you know, pupilography of measurements of the eye, you can kind of look at strain and assume things, but nothing beats seeing a a horse having fun. Um, I'm going to pivot a little bit here um, and, and go back to your, your presentation. Um, You mentioned in there about information silos and a hesitation to bring in new ideas and new approaches. Um, And you specifically mentioned baseball. And I know for anyone who's seen the movie Moneyball, uh, it paints a really nice picture of the issues that occur when an industry relies a little too heavily on tradition. So For equestrian sports, um, which are, of course, very traditional and, and often a little bit resistant to change, what are the best ways you think there are to break down the barriers and, and allow for innovation and, and growth? Yeah, that's a great question, because the first thing that someone would ask, okay, how do you change baseball? And that sport was near the Civil War, you know, when everyone had curly mustaches and, you know, the, <laughs> you'd see the, the swim trunks would actually be like a, a singlet and you know, they're boxing strangely, but um, I think with, with equine sports, the, the issue is, is uh, because the events are ancient, like I was looking at uh, an old National Geographic of, you know, the Colosseum and, you know, different parts of, of ancient Rome, this event is the same. You know, it's a very simple, like track and field, it's an ancient sport. So I think the first thing to do is to start looking at what is culture and kind of ritual? And then what is really actually, you know, from a fresh perspective necessary? So being unorthodox, you don't have to be creative and you don't have to be too outside the box. But I think that you have to look at everything and saying, why am I doing this? And if it has a purpose, keep it. If it doesn't, say, well, what is it supposed to do? And then learn from other activities and how to make it better. So, for example, what we tend to see is if you look at like uh, any type of sport horse activity, if you look at photography and videos from the past, it's the same stuff, very little change. And I think what happens is not only are we technically inbreeding the horse in a way, we're also inbreeding ideas. So sometimes saying, okay, what would that be if we change the field? How, what it would look like if we changed color schemes and designs. Now, not compromising any, taking any risk for safety, because that's the most precious point, 
but there needs to be some sort of outside the comfort zone change, um, as well as, you know, uh, like, for example, technology is kind of like a big threat because it's a big change. A lot of times what makes someone great is also, like I said, a trade-off. Someone might be really intuitive with what's going on and they're in tune with themselves and they can feel the horse. They can, they can sense that information coming from the saddle up to their, to their uh, occipital part of the skull and feel the vibrations and, and, and tell there's a different surge. That is an awesome quality. On the other hand, what are you doing from another perspective, especially if you're a rider? If you're a rider, all your inputs are coming from one experience. It's not coming from the side, and that's why I love video. You might think your posture is a certain way, but when you look at video, you can tell that the relationship between you and the horse might not be what you perceive, but because you've been doing it so long, you might have a blind, a blind spot. Um, I just think that with uh, trust is to say, can we try doing something that and making it better versus trying to do something different? Sometimes incremental change can sneak up on you, and that's probably the better way versus fighting you know, a sport that's been around for hundreds of years. Yeah, no, re- really fascinating. It's, it's always exciting to hear, uh, hear you talk, Carl, and to read some of your stuff. It's always really inspiring to think about what, what is kind of coming down the pipeline. And I think some sure. of the opportunities that our, our sport does have. I just want to ask one last question that we sure. asked to all of our guests here. Uh, and that is if you could talk directly to a horse and, and educate them uh, and they could, fully understand you, what are the few things that you would want to say to them and have them, you know, understand about sports training or, or what do you wish that they, that they, that they knew? Um, to have fun because the number one subjective indicator that I use is willingness to train and an early warning, uh, system for, for basically injury and burnout is, are you having fun? So, you know, for me, it, you could see on a human when there's a lot of smiles and jokes, when things get quiet, it becomes a funeral. Look to the training loads, look to the, the, the sequences, look to something to say, do we need a change? Sometimes it's a change of scenery. You know, if you're up there and it's gloomy out or maybe just another location or other animals, if it's something that you can do. Whatever change is necessary to create happiness is probably the ultimate metric because a happy athlete becomes a better athlete. I, I think that's, that. yeah, that's the, I think that's the perfect way to end the show. I, I had a lot of fun. So uh, <laughs> I, I think my, my willingness to continue would could go on for hours, but uh, thank <laughs> yeah. you so much, Carl. It's, I always really enjoy uh, what you bring to a conversation. It's been fascinating. And uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Um, you have a, a wonderful uh, podcast and I look forward to listening. sponsor of today's episode is Barn Manager. Barn Manager provides easy-to-use management software that enables barns to improve the record-keeping, scheduling, communication, and business management. With offerings starting at $10 a month, Barn Manager offers solutions for any size stable. Barn Manager is designed for barn managers by barn managers. They communicate with their users on a regular basis to see how their platform can grow and improve. Thanks to customer feedback, Barn Manager is preparing to launch invoicing, payment processing, and revenue tracking tools as part of a new subscription offering called Barn Manager Pro. 
Find more information on their website and sign up for a personal live demo to learn how Barn Manager can meet your barn's needs. Barn Manager also has a special offer for our listeners. Sign up for a free trial of Barn Manager at www.barnmanager.com and enter code PODCAST10 for 10% off the first three months of your subscription. Go and check it out and we'll have more details in a link to our podcast. So that was just a fascinating episode, uh, Nicole. I, I always enjoy hearing Carl talk and he's one of those people where when you hear him and he has so many great ideas and such a cool perspective that it, it really gets my brain uh, turning and gets me thinking about like how this can be applied. And I sort of think that the big take home message uh, for me from that talk was that uh, anyone who's training or, or managing an athlete or a horse, we just need to take what information will help us do a better job. Right. So uh, Carl had talked about some of the different tools that could be used. And I think it's, you know, whoever is going to take some of this information and try to apply it and try to grow their programs and innovate, it's really thinking about what are the questions that we don't have answered yet in our program. So if, if you don't know, like if you're training too much or too little, uh, as, as Carl mentioned, maybe look at uh, the personality of the horse. So is it willing to work on a day? Is it starting to get tired and fatigued and, and maybe getting a little bit anxious or a little bit resistant to work? I think those are the types of questions that are really valuable. And then it's how can we start to answer those questions? So maybe heart rate, as he mentioned, can be used for that. We can start to see that the horse isn't recovering as well, or maybe just, you know, looking at a horse's expression or trying to better understand, you know, did we just do too much in a small period of time and the horse will get back on track after a couple of days of rest. So it's, it's really cool to think about. And he gives so many great ideas that I think can be applied to any any training program, if you're willing to look for those answers. Yeah. I mean, I, I was so really blown away at the start of the conversation when he was, you know, less, less pushing new technology and, and more saying, go back to the basics, look at, at the baseline, take really good notes, record everything that you're doing and, and fill in the gaps, uh, which is, you know, what you just described. And I think one of the the biggest I think helpful notes for me was when he he mentioned to to take a look at your doing and and say to yourself why am I doing this and if you can't answer that question see first if if it's because you know it has a purpose and you're just not <laughs> not understanding or if it's something that needs to be improved or or changed or even removed from from what you're doing so I I really love the discussion and I'm I'm so grateful to to Carl for joining us today so that's a wrap for this this week's episode of the Sport Horse Podcast. You can find the links to today's guest and all of the great resources he talked about, um, the books that he recommended, uh, all of that will be in our show notes at sporthorsepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Sport Horse Series, as well as on Facebook. Be sure to like us and follow us on whatever podcast app you're using to listen to uh, the podcast today. Uh, leave a review that all helps other people to find our show and the other horse radio network shows. All 20 of them can be found and you can take them any of the you can take them with you wherever you go uh, with our free app for iPhone and Android. So go to the app store right now and search for horse radio network. And I just want to thank our title sponsor today, Barn Manager, uh, for bringing you this episode. And here's to keeping your horses happy and healthy. <laughs>